Walt Disney, pioneer in animation, filmmaking, and amusement parks. He holds a record for the most ever, most Oscars ever earned. But in 1919, he was reportedly fired from the Kansas City Star newspaper because his editor felt that he lacked imagination and he had no good ideas. Then there's Fred Astaire. He's regarded as one of the best on-screen dancers of all time. But at one time, of, at the time of one of his early screen tests, someone wrote about him, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little. Then before, before becoming one of the most recognised film stars on the planet, Harrison Ford was told by numerous movie executives that he didn't have what it took to be a star. And Steven Spielberg the Oscar-winning movie director, he was turned down three times by the University of Southern California School of Theatre, Film and Television. Oprah Winfrey, she was fired from her evening news reporter job because she got too emotionally involved in her stories and was told by a producer that she was unfit for television news. And in 1985, Steve Jobs was forced out of Apple, the company that he'd started, after all of his power to make decisions was taken from him. And it wasn't wasn't until 1996 that he was brought back into that company to make Apple the incredible success it is today. History is full of people who were initially rejected before their true ability and value was recognised. And celebrated. Rejection often comes before that recognition. But all of those examples look so trivial compared to the one who was rejected by the whole world only to become the cornerstone of God's temple. And we're going to read this wonderful passage in First Peter. That draws out this whole picture of Jesus as the cornerstone eh, this morning. So it's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined as we've seen throughout this letter Peter took images from the Old Testament 
and used them to teach what it meant to be God's new covenant people. And here the image is of the temple, or as Peter calls it, a spiritual house. For over 400 years, the the place of worship and sacrifice for the nation of Israel had been called the tabernacle. It was basically a tent. On Mount Sinai, God had given Moses the plans and the direction to make this portable worship centre. That could be set up and then taken down again whenever the peop- wherever the people went as they travelled around the wilderness. So this was the place that they would go to to worship God. But when King David was established as king of Israel in Jerusalem, his capital city, he wanted to build a more permanent house, a more permanent place for God. However, God said that it would be his son Solomon who would build it. And so Solomon built an amazing temple. This is a kind of diagram of it. An amazing temple of cedar, of pine, of dressed stone, of gold and silver and bronze and a whole load of lavish furnishings. It was an amazing building. And when it was completed, they sacrificed thousands of animals on the altar. And Solomon prayed to dedicate it. And at that moment, the priests, they could not perform their service there because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. God was showing that he had accepted this this building as a place where he could be worshipped, where sacrifice could be made for sin, and where people could draw near to God. But the glory of this temple didn't last. Down through the generations, this temple was neglected, even desecrated by idolatry by the people of Israel. Finally, in judgment on the sin and the rebellion of that nation, the valuable furnishings of that temple were all taken and stolen and were taken down to Babylon. And the temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. It would be years later that it was rebuilt at the time of Ezra in about 500 BC. Then it was repaired and expanded by King Herod around the time of Jesus. But again, this temple didn't last as it was completely destroyed by the Romans, by the Roman army in about AD 70. These were the temples, the places of worship that God had provided for his people down through the generations. But Peter here is talking about a completely different kind of temple. Not a temple made with wood and with stone and with gold and silver. But one that is built with living stones. With living stones. This is the revolution that Jesus brought. This is the transformation that Jesus brought about. When Jesus met a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well, 
she tried to draw him into an argument about where was the best place to go to worship. Was it Jerusalem, where the Jews had their temple? Or was it in Samaria, where the the Samaritans had their rival places of worship? Be like arguing over whether you should go to that church or that church building today. But listen to what Jesus said. He said this, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In the new covenant, in the new agreement, the new relationship with God that Jesus was bringing, there would no longer need to be a focus of one place, of one location. There would no longer be a focus on a building with an earthly altar. Those things would just no longer be required. That's because as Jesus continued, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God isn't looking for buildings or structures to live in. Instead, he's looking for a people to honour him by worshipping him. Worshipping him in spirit, as a heart-to-heart communication with God as our Father. By worshipping him in truth. Standing on the truth of who he has revealed himself to be through Jesus. And so the temple of the new covenant is not a massive building with awe-inspiring architecture. Neither is it a cathedral with stained glass windows and spires. The temple of the new covenant is a people. A community where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. That's God's focus today. That's what God is building. And the most important member of this new community of worshippers is, of course, Jesus. Peter described here, uh, Jesus here, as the cornerstone. He quoted from Isaiah, Isaiah 28. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, unless you're big into building, the idea of a cornerstone wouldn't be the kind of forefront of your mind. But the cornerstone is the most important stone in a building. It was the first stone to be laid, to be put in place. And the stone that every, all the other rest of the building depended on. It gave the building a solid foundation and it held it together. As each of the other stones were placed with reference to it and connected to it. So this cornerstone, this stone at the corner, the head of the corner, is the most important stone in the building. And so God laid Jesus as the cornerstone, the foundation of his community. Despite what anybody else may claim, Jesus is the solid rock that God chose to build his people on. 
as we read earlier, he was chosen from before the creation of the world. And despite what anybody else might think, he is precious. He is cherished by God. Remember when he was baptized, God declared from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And despite what the wisdom of the world thinks, he is the foundation, the only foundation on which we can get built into God's people. As the cornerstone, he is the one that we need to be connected to in order to be part of his community. Jesus himself said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can be part of God's community unless we are connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. This is what Peter himself said when he was dragged in front of the Sanhedrin after healing a man who had been lame. Peter declared, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Our involvement in or exclusion from God's temple, the community of God's people, is completely based on our response to Jesus. It's all about how do we respond to Jesus. But sadly, as Peter says in this passage, many people rejected Jesus. Verse 4, he says that Jesus was rejected by men. Many people met Jesus uh, when he walked on this earth and they turned their back on him. They didn't want him as their Lord and their Saviour. Even among his own people, he was rejected. Especially by those who had been given the responsibility by God to build God's community. The religious leaders, the teachers of the law. They rejected Jesus again and again and again. This is what John writes about Jesus. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came as their creator, their Messiah, their Lord, their Savior. But he was criticized. He was condemned. He was ridiculed. He was thought of as a criminal. And ultimately, he was crucified. Today, it should remind us that we really shouldn't be surprised if people respond to Jesus in that same way. Or if people respond to us in that same way as Peter will develop in this letter. But actually, this whole idea of Jesus being rejected was something that Peter just couldn't accept at the start. Jesus told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew that this rejection was all, all the ahead of him. 
Peter did not like this idea at all. He responded, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He couldn't agree that his Messiah would be killed. But Peter didn't know. What Peter didn't know at that time was that the rejection of Jesus wouldn't stop the building of God's kingdom. Instead, as Peter would learn later, actually the rejection of Jesus was essential in order to build God's kingdom. After he'd been threatened by the Sanhedrin, Peter and the other apostles, they prayed together. They pray, in their prayer, they prayed this. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of, this, of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. The Jews and the Roman authorities, they had worked together to arrest, to condemn, to kill Jesus. But this didn't mean that Jesus' mission had failed. Because in their prayer, the apostles continued, they did, Herod, Pilate, the, the, the chief priests, the leaders of the, of the people, they all did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The rejection of Jesus didn't stop God's kingdom building. Instead, the rejection of Jesus was all part of God's plan to pay for our sins and open up the way to life with Him. And this is what the Scriptures foretold. Peter quoted also from Psalm 118 in verse, verse 7 of our passage. A, passage a, a, a psalm that Jesus had applied to Himself in His own teaching. And he said this, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The rejected one will become the, the foundation of God's community. The one that they had condemned and killed will become the most important member of God's community. The one who was essential for us to be connected to in order to become part of God's kingdom. God's plan of salvation was fulfilled through the rejection of Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's okay to reject Jesus today. Because there are serious consequences for anybody who would reject Jesus. It's a really solemn part of this, this, this passage. Jesus, verse 8, is a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. Jesus is a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. Some people stumbled over Jesus. They fell because of him. That's because they refused to obey Jesus. They refused to accept him as their Messiah. Their Saviour. Their Lord. They refused to believe in him. They stumble because they disobey the message. Which is also what they were destined for. Their rejection of Jesus did not stop God's plan. 
But the rejection of Jesus left them still in their sins. Condemned. And heading to a lost eternity. And this is the frightening destiny of all who would reject Jesus today. John chapter 3 verse 36 says this. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. It's a sad and frightening reality that everyone who rejects Jesus as their Savior and Lord will never experience the eternal life that Jesus died to give them. But there's another side of what Peter says here. He doesn't just focus on the the destiny of those who will reject Jesus. He also focuses in on the people who will accept him. And their destiny is completely different. He says this, To you who believe, this stone is precious. Jesus is precious to us. Because we recognize not only who he really is, but also what he has done in our lives. Peter didn't only call Jesus the cornerstone, but also the living stone. That's not just because he's a living being, but also he's the one who can give life. He is the source of life. Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead. and Behold, I am alive forever and ever. Jesus is the living one because he rose from the dead, defeating death. So for those who accept him, he is the source of eternal life. Without Jesus, we are dead in our transgressions and our sins. We are lost, heading to a lost eternity. But Peter wrote, as you come to him, you also are like living stones. If we've come to faith in Jesus, if we've repented of living our lives for ourselves and our own way, then, through faith, we have been forgiven. We've been born again into God's family and we have been given eternal life. A life that will last forever. Whoever believes in the Son, John 3, 36 says, has eternal life. If you've trusted in Jesus this morning, you are a living stone. You have eternal life on the basis of the promise of God's Word. And we can rejoice in that life. But we're not just alive through Christ. We're also connected to each other through Christ. Our sin separates us from each other. We're divided, we're isolated by our our selfishness, by our self-centeredness. But like living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house. We're being built into a community of God's people. We're being connected to each other, growing in our love for each other, expressing our commitment to each other. And this is because we are united to Christ. 
If we are connected by faith to Christ, then we are connected by faith to each other. We're being built together. I think an even more amazing truth is about this spiritual house that we're being built into. It's a house where God lives. We are a spiritual house for God to live in. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? That's us today, folks. God lives in us. The original readers of this letter, they were mainly Gentiles, non-Jews. So like us, they would have been excluded from the inner courts of that temple in Jerusalem. They would have been only able to enter into the large outer court, the court of the Gentiles. They wouldn't have been able to come into the inner courts. In fact, there was walls round that inner court. And to go through those walls and through those gates would have been a capital offence. At the entrances, there was an inscription on the wall that said this, any foreigner who passes this point will be responsible for his own death. So, we would have been stuck in the outside. We would not have been able to come any closer than that outer court. But now... Those who have accepted Jesus, they just can't come nearer God's temple. They've actually become God's temple. It's not just that we can draw near to God today. It's that God lives in us today. So today as a church, we don't come to God's house. Because if we trust in Jesus, we are God's house. We are His dwelling place. I remember when the kids were at school, at primary school, they were taken into the church to go through, to be told a little bit about, about the religion of the, the school that, that, was, that the school was connected to, the, the Church of Ireland. And they were taught that you have to come in and you have to behave here because this is God's house. This is the house of the Lord, so you have to behave here. But that's not what this is saying, is it? We don't come into a building that's God's house. We are God's house. So we need to behave in a certain way all the time. Because we are the temple of the the Holy Spirit. This is amazing truth that Paul celebrated in his his letter to the Ephesians. Just going to read you a little passage here. Just listen to these amazing words. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That same idea there. Jesus as the chief cornerstone. The foundation stone of God's kingdom. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Has that truth sunk into your hearts today? Has you have been grasped hold of that? That we are the church today. That we are God's temple. That we are God's house. That God lives in us. But we're more than just a place where God lives. We're also the priests who have the privilege of worshipping Him. Verse 5, we are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter develops this idea a bit more in the next passage. So we're going to leave the details of this till next week. But this is the amazing privilege that we have if we've trusted in Jesus. Each one of us who trust in Jesus are called a priest in God's kingdom. And we have the privilege of becoming a worshipping community. Whatever our background, whatever we have or haven't done, however worthy we feel or don't feel, we are called to be that holy priesthood. Coming directly into God's presence. Offering the sacrifice of our lips and of our lives to honour the one who loved us. And gave himself up for us. I just don't think we can get any greater privilege than that. We can't have any better role in life than that. If we have trusted in Jesus, then we can fulfill our calling as God's image bearers. We can be the worshippers that the Father seeks. We can give God the glory and the honour that He alone deserves. We are a holy priesthood. And the the amazing little thing, lastly, is that if we've come to Christ, if we have put our faith in Him, then we can know that all of these blessings that we're talking about here today, They are ours. And they'll never be taken from us. This is what Peter wrote in verse 6. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in Jesus, the cornerstone, will never be put to shame. So if we are standing in Christ, if he is the solid foundation, then no matter what happens, We will stand secure. We will never stumble. We will never fall. We will never be rejected by God. This is the reality of Jesus. Yes, He is the one who was rejected. And yet today He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation stone of the community of God's people. And He is the only way we can stand before God. So if we reject Him, then we'll be forever separated from Him and the community of His people. But if we accept Him, if we build our lives on Him, then we can stand strong in the knowledge that we will never be put to shame. 
Because we've been given eternal life. Because we've been welcomed into the community of God's people. Because we've become the dwelling place of God on earth. And we've been given the wonderful privilege of worshipping God now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. That he is the cornerstone. That he is the foundation of this community that we've been brought into, Lord. Father God, I really thank you so much for this wonderful relationship that he has brought us into through his death on the cross. That though he was rejected, though he was condemned, though he was crucified, that was the fulfillment of your plan of salvation. And so through his rejection, we can be accepted by you. Through him being condemned, we can be declared righteous. Through his death, we can have eternal life. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful privilege. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us here this morning, that each one of us will have built our lives on that solid foundation that is Christ and Christ alone. Father, I pray that none of us would be those who would reject Him. None of us would become hardened to who He is and just walk away from Him, Lord. But Lord, I pray that each one of us would put our faith in Him. That we would believe in Him. That we would trust in Him. And that because of that, we are being built into this wonderful building, this, this spiritual house, this temple of the Holy Spirit. That we can be your part of your community. And we can be worshippers as priests in your kingdom. And we can give you all the honour and all the glory and all the worship that you alone deserve. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our cornerstone. And we just pray you'd help us to, to understand more and more about how precious he is. That we might live for him each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.